You know, as we go through life, remember this, life is a journey. And when you got saved, that was the beginning of the journey. I think some people have the idea, well, I got saved and now it's all over with. No, when you got saved, it was just all starting. And so we began our walk with God at the moment of our salvation. And as we go on this journey with God, we go through some wilderness experiences. We have some mountaintops. We have some valleys, some great times, some difficult times. And I think it's helpful as we go through different experiences in life to always try to ask ourselves this question, God, what are you teaching me through this? What are you saying to me through what I'm going through now? How can I learn? How can I grow? How can I become a better person? How can I become a better Christian? And how can I become more like the person of Jesus Christ? So if we could begin tonight by opening our Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter number 3, I want us to just look at a couple of verses here that I think will be a good place for us to begin tonight as we think about the fact that God is in the process of making us into the person he created us to be, and he's, he's making us more and more like Jesus. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17, it simply says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, there's freedom. And so when we think about what does it mean to be like Jesus, does it mean to have the same color eyes or hair or to walk like Jesus walked or to have the same posture Jesus had? Of course not. To be like Jesus means that we have his qualities, that we have his characteristics in us in an ever-growing and ever-increasing way. And one of the things that is involved in that is this whole idea of liberty or freedom, and if we could have seen Jesus, we read about him in the Gospels, but if we could have seen Jesus when he was on this earth, one of the things we would have noticed about him was how free he was, how relaxed he was, how loose he was, how unruffled, how unhurried he was, how non-stressed out Jesus was. And this is the whole idea when we talk about liberty. And then in verse 18, it says this, but we all with unveiled face Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so God is in the process, when it says from glory to glory, little by little, experience by experience, God is in the process of making us more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, the other night I sat down, uh, it was on Monday night, and it was getting pretty late, and that I, but I just had some things that were on my heart that I thought God had been teaching me and showing me over the last certain amount of time. In fact, in your program tonight, I think we entitled this message, Some Things God Has Been Teaching Me For The Last Several Years, or In The Last Several Years. Well, as I've thought about that, some of these things God has been teaching me for over 20 years, and maybe longer than that. Some of these things God has really been focusing in on in the last eight to ten years of my life. Maybe one or two of these things are a little more recent. And I want to say this before I get into what we're going to think about tonight, because I do have a lot of verses I want us to look up. When I say some things that God has been teaching me, He's still teaching me, and I haven't perfectly learned it, okay? But I just have felt like lately that God is doing something in my life that is... Um, that is fresh, that is, that is a good thing, and that he's teaching me and he's growing me, and I have so far to go in the whole experience. But nonetheless, I think he's at least teaching me these truths 
and bringing me through that and giving me victory over these different things. And so tonight, I would never come out here and have 10 things, a 10-point sermon. It's too many. You can't develop that. You can't do much with it. And I know you probably look at that and you think, good night, a 10-point sermon. We're going to be here all night. No, we're not. I'm going to have you out of here by 9.30, I promise, okay? We have, no, we'll be right here right on time. I can only spend two or three minutes on each one of these, and, uh, and that's okay. But as we go through this list, I want you to be thinking not only about the truth that we're going to be thinking about, but I want you to be thinking about your own life and where you are in your experience with God. You see, as we think about these Israelites, they were in the wilderness, but they were in the wilderness with God, and they were going somewhere, and they had an opportunity to trust God in their wilderness or to doubt and question and grumble and complain, and that's what most of them did. And as a result of that, they died in the wilderness, and they never made it to the promised land. And so when we're going through our experiences in life, and God's in there with us, we have an opportunity to respond in a way that would honor God, that would strengthen our faith, and that would make the experience worthwhile, or we can do like so many of them did and give in to the negativity and really not grow. We, it, it's, it's foolish if you think about it to go through the pain that we go through in life and not, and it's not just that we're trying to, quote, learn lessons. What we're trying to do is to be conformed into the image of Jesus. But part of that is learning some lessons that we can apply to our lives in very practical ways. And so, if you like a practical Bible study, something that's not very heavy but super applicable, this is going to be hopefully something tonight that will be a blessing in your life. Now, I'm sitting at home the other night, and I'm just thinking, probably didn't take me five minutes to make this list, or at least most of this list, but the first thing that I wrote down is this. Here's what God is in the process of teaching me and has been for these years now. Number one, to trust Him completely with everything. To trust Him completely with everything. And the reason I mentioned this one first is because this is the foundation of it all. If we are trusting God with everything. Now, how many of you tonight would say that you're trusting God to save you and to one day take you to heaven? Raise your hand. All right, now that's most everybody here. Well, think about the logic of this. We're trusting a God whom we've never seen to take us to a place that we've never been. But we trust Him that. Most of us trust Him to do that 100%. Unless you're doubting your salvation, you're trusting him to do that. And yet many times we don't trust him to, with the experiences that we have in life. And so it's a little illogical, really, if you think about it, to trust him with something as big as eternity and to doubt him sometimes with the little things in life. And yet we've all done that, and sometimes we all do that. Now look at this. No, in fact, we're not looking at that one. Let's start by going to the book of Psalms. This is how I want to do this tonight. We've got several verses in Psalms and Proverbs, and we're going to look up all of those verses, Psalms and Proverbs, and I think there are four other verses that are not in Psalms and Proverbs, and those are the verses that will be on the screen for us. But this one, we're going to look up. Psalm 62 and in verse number 8. Now, David is talking here, and listen to what he says. Trust in him at all times. Listen to that. Trust in him at all times, not just some of the time. Trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Now, we know that we began this journey with God back here somewhere when we repented of our sins, 
We asked Jesus to save us. We trusted him to do it. We were saved by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. That was the beginning of our relationship with Jesus. We said to him in whatever words, or maybe in no words, but it was in our heart, Jesus, I'm trusting you to forgive me and to save me. That's where it began right there. Now, remember what the Scripture says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. That is, you live the Christian life the same way that you began the Christian life, and that is by trusting in God. And so the first thing that God has been teaching me, and this may be true in your experience as well, He's been teaching me to trust in Him at all times and to trust Him with everything. Now, another thing that God has has been teaching me, and that is simply this, don't get angry. Don't get angry. Now, the fact is, most of the time, when we get angry, we're smart enough, not all the time, but most of the time, when we get, when we get angry, we're smart enough to control our anger, at least outwardly. Now, not always. Sometimes we, we lose it, and we, are, we have an outburst of anger. But most of the time, we can control it outwardly. But that anger is still raging on the inside. And I think anger is an emotion. I've just written a book on it. It's ready to be passed out. We're going to pass it out in a few weeks. The Danger of Anger. Preached a sermon on it a few weeks or months ago. But anger is something that needs not have any place in our life. Now, I do understand there's righteous indignation and we should be angry about injustices in the world. And I do, but that's not what I'm talking about because most of the time when we get angry, that's not what we're angry about. We're not angry about the injustices happening in North Korea. We're angry because somebody cut us off in traffic or somebody was rude to us at work. That's when we get angry. And that doesn't need to be a part of us. So go to Proverbs now in chapter 16 and look in verse 32. And as we walk through this list tonight, I'm just encouraged, almost begging you to do some kind of an inventory in your own life and just to ask yourself as we walk through this, how am I doing here? Am I trusting God with everything? Am I really trusting God with everything? Have I come to a place in my life? You know, I think life, this is something that's very, a fair new, fairly new revelation to me. In life, we can either say, I'm going to worry and fret about everything, which many of us have been guilty of doing, or we can say, I'm going to just trust God with it. Well, if we trust God, we're already in a much better position for all these other things to work positively in our lives. Think about this. If you're not trusting God, That means you're not at peace. I've said this many times before. Faith, or let me say it backwards. Let me say it the right way. Peace follows faith as certainly as night follows day. Peace and faith are like railroad tracks. They always go together. If I have a lot of faith, I have a lot of peace. If I have a little faith, I have a little peace. Well, if if I don't have a lot of peace, what does that mean? It means I'm agitated. It means I'm uptight. It means I'm tense and on edge, which means I'm going to be much more likely to get angry. Whereas on the other hand, if I say, you know what, I have made a decision that I'm going to trust God with everything in life. All right. Now, what does that do for me? You say, well, it makes God happy. Well, yeah, it makes God happy. But what does it do for you? It puts you at peace. It relaxes you. You say, well, I don't have to worry about that. I'm trusting God with that. Well, now think about it. If you're relaxed and peaceful, you're going to be much less likely to be angry and to to be on edge. But let's nonetheless look in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 32. Great verse in the Bible, and here's what it says. He who is slow to anger, 
is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. I can remember reading that verse probably 25 years ago on my back porch on a Saturday morning. It must have been the 16th of the month, and I was reading my proverb, and I thought, wow, in, 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 the, in the mind of God, it is better for us to be slow to anger than it would to be mighty and strong and to even to, to, uh, to, to be the leader of a city or the leader of something larger than that. And so here's, the, here's, the, here's what God is in the process of doing in you. God is in the process of bringing you to a place in your life where you don't get angry. Now, I don't know if I, I'm not asking anybody to raise their hand tonight. I'm not sure if I were to say tonight, how many of you ever get angry? Most probably everybody would raise their hand. Well, that's just honest. But the truth remains, God is in the process of bringing us to a place where we would only get angry about the things that Jesus would get angry about, injustices in the world or something happening that's not right. But as far as having a crossword or somebody being rude or seeing something on TV and it just makes us mad and we're angry, and there are a lot of people, and I don't want to belabor this point, but there are a lot of people today who are living. I don't mean they have an occasional anger outburst. I mean, there are people today who are just, they're angry, they're looking for a fight, and they're into the fight before they even knew what the fight was about. And they're just angry. And it's not, it's not good for us. It's, it's causing heart attacks and strokes and, and, and all kind of problems. And so I just think we have to be honest and say God doesn't want there to be any ungodly, unjustified anger in our lives. So how would you like, now if we just stopped right now and I said thanks for coming, think about it and go home. Well so far I've said that God is trying to bring you to a place where you're at perfect peace and where you never get angry. <laughs> how much money would people pay if they could have that in their life? They have perfect peace and they never get angry. Well that's what God's trying to work in us. A third thing that God has been teaching me over the last 10, 12, 14 years or so is simply this. Don't overdo it. In life, don't overdo it. Many of us get burned out and stressed out because we're trying to do more than what God intends for us to do. And I heard Adrian Rogers say years ago that God will never give us more to do in a day than we can do graciously that we can do calmly. And if we're trying to do, if we find ourselves all stressed out, more than likely, there may be another reason for that, but perhaps it's because we're trying to do something God never intended for us to do. Now, go back to the book of Psalms, if, if you can, and I want you to go to Psalm 127, and then we're going to go back to Proverbs, but I want you to see this verse in Psalm, Psalm 127 and verse number 2, because the psalmist here, this is one of the two psalms that uh, Solomon wrote, and in verse number 2 of this psalm, he says this, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Now, Solomon was the king of Israel. Solomon built the temple. Solomon was a busy man. And yet he had learned in his life that it's foolish 
to get up early and work all day and stay up late and work half the night because he says that's not how God intends for it to be. God gives his beloved sleep. Now, that doesn't mean it's wrong to get up early and go to work, but it does mean it's wrong to get up early and go to work and every night pull in at 10 o'clock because that's not sustainable. It's not balanced. And it says that God gives his beloved sleep. Now, back to Proverbs chapter 23. I want to show you two verses there about work and about overworking. Most of the time when we think about work, we're talking about the importance of work. And, and we should talk about that. Don't be lazy. And that's all in the Bible as well. But there's the other side of that where a person can actually overdo it. They can overwork. In Proverbs 23 and verse 4, the Scripture says, Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. And so the Bible is telling us that, yes, we should work. No, we should not be lazy. And yet at the same time, we shouldn't overwork. We shouldn't overdo it. I've heard people say before, make all the money you can as long as you can make it honestly. Well, that sounds good, but that's horrible advice. Because if you were making all the money you could, you would be working right now instead of being in church. If a person is saying, I'm going, to work, I'm going to make all the money I can as long as I make it honestly, they would be working when they should be worshiping. They would be working when they should be resting. They would be working when they should be reading their Bible and praying. They would be working when they should be with their family. They would be working when they be, should be doing something else. And so the whole idea, make all the money you can as long as you make it honestly, that's not in the Bible. The Bible says there's a balance. On the one hand, don't be lazy. Work by the sweat of your brow. Work an honest day's work. On the other hand, don't overdo it. God gives his beloved sleep and don't overwork to be rich. And so this was something that has been very important to me over the last few years as, as God has, has just has been, has been speaking to me. I wrote the little booklet years ago, a few years ago about uh, when my heart is overwhelmed. And sometimes we feel overwhelmed, but many times it's because we are overwhelmed doing it. When I was a freshman at Baylor, one of my religion professors, a man named Dr. David Slover, who used to pastor Memorial Baptist Church here in Pasadena years and years ago, and he went from there to First Baptist Victoria, and he got himself under such stress that he had to have surgery on his stomach. Half of his stomach had to be removed, and, uh, and, and it was a terrible experience, but he ended up from that experience being a teacher, a professor at Baylor, and he said to us on one of our first days in his class, he said, young men, when you get out there working in the churches, don't overdo it. <laughs> he said this, I'll never forget it, start out like you can hold out. In other words, get a pace that you can run with, a lane you can run in, and run in that lane, but don't overdo it. And so I thought this tremendous advice. So God's, that is God's word for all of us tonight. Don't overdo it. A fourth thing that God has been working in my life, and perhaps in yours, is simply this. Don't panic. Don't panic. I read somewhere one time, one of the best quotes I've ever read about panic, and here's what it said. Faith, faith is refusing to panic. We've all panicked probably in our life. We've had those, maybe a panic attack, maybe a, been in a situation and all of a sudden you just feel your heart racing, your body getting warm and you, you just feel a sense of panic. Maybe you lose your breath and uh, that's, that's something that maybe you have experienced in your life. I, I was interested over the weekend to read that Prince William, now the heir to the throne in England, King Charles' oldest son, 
has struggled with this. And uh, he was talking about the anxiety and the mental health issues that he had been through in his life. And you can imagine with all he's been through. But, uh, and I thought, good night, uh, the prince, uh, prince William has. Now, go to Psalm 94. I want to show you a verse that talks about, maybe not a panic attack, but it talks about anxiety. And it talks about the, the, what we feel sometimes when we have this, this emotion, these emotions running wild, our thoughts going so fast that our bodies can't keep up. In Psalm 94, in verse 19, it says, In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. The psalmist is saying there have been times in his life when he had a multitude of anxieties within him. It's another way of saying he was panicking and he was getting very nervous. Now, this next verse is on the screen because I said a moment ago, faith is refusing to panic. And so, when things happen especially a crisis, you know, we have this impulse to panic. And we have to remember when we feel that, we don't have to give in to that impulse. We can combat that in. We can respond to that impulse by faith. Faith puts the brakes on panic. And so here comes a panic attack or here comes a surge of anxiety or here comes this fight or flight and we want, to, we want to run or we want to fight. We want to do something, but we, we've just got, we've got all this in us, and it's, got, it's, it's, it's anxiety. It's the, it's the, talk about an epidemic. This is the epidemic of our day, anxiety. And, and so here it comes, but how do we stop it? Faith. Anxiety is stopped by faith. It has to be met by faith. Now, in Joshua chapter 1, God is speaking to Joshua. You talk about a, a young man who would have been anxious He has been Moses' assistant for all these years. Now Moses has died. And now Joshua is supposed to lead these people. All these Jewish people out in the wilderness, he's supposed to take them into the promised land. Can you imagine how he would have felt, the anxieties that he would have experienced? And so God said this, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Now when you read that in the Bible, do not be afraid. Like when I read that, I think, well, I know I shouldn't be afraid. I know it's wrong to be afraid, and yet sometimes I get afraid. And so I don't think we take, but, but look at that. That is a command. Do not be afraid. Now, I don't know how it is with you, but like when I'm reading my Bible and I see some commands, do not commit adultery. Now, that one gets my attention. I say, okay, now that, you know, do not hate, do not steal, do not lie, do not covet. Okay, well, these would like, okay, we're certainly not supposed to do any of that, okay? So we really take those commands seriously. But we come to this one, and God says, do not be afraid. And we think, well, you know, everybody gets afraid sometime. Well, it's true, but God doesn't want that in your life. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so God is saying to Joshua, Joshua, Joshua I, I know that you're afraid. I know that you're overwhelmed. I know that you're anxious. I know that you're dismayed. I know all of this, but I'm giving you a command. Just like I would tell you, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, I'm giving you another command. Don't be afraid because you can't lead scared and you can't live scared. And he's saying, don't be afraid. And Joshua, here's how not to be afraid. Don't tell yourself 10 times, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. No, here's how not to be afraid. Trust me. Remember that I'm with you. Change your focus from that which is frightening to you to that which should be comforting to you, and that is my presence in your life. And so this whole idea, 
God doesn't want us to panic. Now, if I just stopped right here and said, thanks for coming, and let's all meet back next week. What have I said so far? I'm saying God is trying to bring you to a place in your life where you're at perfect peace, where you never get angry, where you don't overdo it, you live a balanced life, and where you don't panic, you don't have all these anxieties, or when you do have them, you've learned how to, you've learned how to combat it. You're not at the mercy of your emotions. Your emotions are at the mercy of your faith. And so let your faith do what God intended for it to do. And so don't panic. Now, this next one that I'm going to mention, I would have to say I'm better at it, but God's still working on me on this one. But it's, it's, it's an issue, and maybe it's an issue with you, and that is don't be a perfectionist. Don't be a perfectionist because being a perfectionist brings with it a lot of anxiety and a lot of high-level stress. Now, in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse number 6, notice what the Scripture says. We are all like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Now, you say, what does that have to do with being perfect, perfectionist? Well, the first thing it has to do with is in our lives we're not perfect, <laughs> I mean, even these things I'm talking about tonight, the anger and the peace and the fear, we're not going to be perfect until we get to heaven, but we can be growing and getting better. God says your righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Well, if, that's, if God is saying to us, look, you're not perfect. You're a sinner. When you're at your best, you still don't measure up to my standard. Well, if that's true, and it is, wouldn't that also mean that nothing we do is going to be perfect, right? I mean, if we ourselves are not perfect, then nothing we do is going to be perfect. And I think God has to give us wisdom here to know when do we just accept a project or something we've done and, and say, you know what, that's as good as it can be or it's good enough, maybe something around the house or maybe a project you're on at work and you say, you know what, it's not perfect but if I try to make it perfect, I'm going to neglect other things I need to do. And so sometimes in life, we don't want to get sloppy. We don't want to get lazy. But we don't want to go through our whole lives being a perfectionist where we're demanding that everything be just right. So God's trying to bring us to a fact where we accept. I, I think this is the thing that, that helps me at least so, to some extent with this whole idea of perfectionism. Think about this. The only perfect person is Jesus. You believe that? Say Amen. The only perfect place is heaven. We're not going to be perfect till we get there. And so in your life, your spouse isn't perfect. Your kids aren't perfect. Siblings aren't perfect. Coworkers aren't perfect. Your parents aren't perfect. Your church isn't perfect. The government isn't perfect. Schools aren't perfect. <laughs> your yard man, if somebody mows your yard, they're not perfect. If you mow your yard, you're not perfect. Your painter's not perfect. Your plumber's not. I mean, there's just nobody. But I think this whole idea that I've just got to have everything right. Now, again, we don't want to be sloppy. We want things to be right. But this whole idea of being a perfectionist, it's not attainable because we're living in an imperfect, fallen world. And sometimes in life, we're wise to accept and maybe to develop this thing, this little motto, it is what it is. I've done everything I can do to make it as good as it can be. It's not perfect. It is what it is, 
and I can live with that, and I'm going to have to live with it, or else I'm going to drive myself completely crazy. So that's an important thing. Now, this next one, in fact, let's go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. I want us to get in this, into uh, something Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. But I want to just mention these last five things, and I can scoot through them very quickly. But the first one is simply this. Don't worry about anything. Now, I've already kind of said that when I'm talking about trusting God, but I just want to make it its own point here. Jesus was very uh, insistent that we not be worriers. Look in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Jesus said, therefore I say to you, do not worry. Look in verse 31. Therefore, do not worry. Verse 34, do not worry. And so... Again, I'm not going to stay on this point because I, I really explained this when I was talking about trusting God, but worrying has never done anybody any good. And some of us are more prone to be worriers than others are. I think there are uh, legitimate, I don't know what the word is, physiological, not physiological, but psychological, uh, environmental circumstances. I think there are certain circumstances that make people more worriers, more prone to worry. I think, for, I think if you studied that, firstborn children would be more prone to worry than second, third, or fourth child. I just don't think that's maybe always true, but I think that's, that's true. And then, and then maybe even if you're a second or third child, and yet you say, yeah, but I really still worry about this. I think that sometimes that's just our disposition. And we're just, that's something we have to, to work against, whereas other people don't seem to worry. But God doesn't want us to be a worrier. So think about this. What is God doing in my life? God, why have you allowed these troubles in my life? Why have you allowed this trial in my life, God? God says, because I'm going to use this to teach you not to worry. I'm going to use this to teach you not to be a perfectionist. I'm going to use this to bring you to a place of perfect peace so you won't get angry and you won't overdo it and you won't panic and all these things. Say, well, if that's the end result, then so be it because you've got something good in mind. The seventh thing that God has been teaching me these last 10 or 12 years or so is simply this. Be patient with people and with projects. Now, just a moment ago, we saw the verse that said, you know, all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. None of us is perfect. But we have to, if, if we can get to a place where we can cut ourselves some slack for not being perfect, we have to cut other people some slack and say, you know what? They're not perfect either. Maybe I'm just catching them on a bad day. Now, look in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, because this is interesting. James said, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, most of us don't feel that way, but he said we should, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect. When that says perfect, it's talking about being mature, spiritually mature, spiritually whole, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. But let me draw your attention to that phrase. Let patience have its perfect work. Say that with me. Let patience have its perfect work. Sometimes in life, we get in a situation that is not immediately resolved. It may take weeks. It may take months. It may take years. It may never get resolved on this side of heaven. And we have to come to a place where we say, you know what, God, I've got to let patience have its perfect work. Because as I'm waiting on you to resolve this, you, patience is growing in me. And as that patience is growing, 
It's maturing me. It's growing me. It's making me more like Christ. And God, that's what I really want in my life. And then the next thing, and this is extremely important. We'll see a verse to it. And that is, don't try to change things that you cannot change. We all have things in our lives. And I heard a sermon on Saturday night, and the preacher was talking about this. Don't, you know, don't try to change things that you cannot change. Look in verse number 27 of Matthew 6. Jesus said, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? A cubit is 18 inches. I've always wanted to be a little bit taller than what I am. I mean, I'm glad I'm as tall as I am, but I would have always wanted to be a little bit taller. Well, you know what? There's not anything I can do about that. I can't make myself taller. If I worried about, oh, I wish I could be six foot three, well, I'm not ever going to be six foot three. I am what I am. What Jesus said, it would be foolish, John, for you to want to be a certain height that you're not. You can't change that. In a in the similar way, there's some things in life that you cannot change. And here's one of the things that causes frustration, stress, anxiety, and all the rest. When we get in a situation, either with a person or, or a circumstance, and we try to change something that we can't change. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. You can't change another person. You can't do it. I mean, you can't. There are some situations in life that you can't change. And so I think we have to remember that. And to remember this, in life, God is going to hold us responsible for everything that we can control. He really is. But The flip side is true, too. He's not going to hold us responsible for anything that we can't control. And so when you get in a situation and, boy, you're frustrated and you're impatient and now you begin to get a little bit angry and and now here comes the multitude of anxieties and, and now you're feeling all this, take a step back, look at the situation and ask yourself this question, can I change this or not? Well, if you can, do. And if you can't, don't try to. Because you can't. I mean, what does a serenity prayer say? God grant me, what does it say, Pam? The the serenity. No, I think serenity is that the, God grant me the, the, the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the wisdom to change the things I can, or the courage to change the things I can. See, this is really messed up. But I'm not stressed out because I'm not a perfectionist anymore, right? So I said, let me try to get that just right. We've got Dr. Robert White from the school back here, and I want to get it right for him because he's uh, in academia. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You look at a situation, you say, you know what? I can change it. All right, go change it. You look at a situation and say, there's nothing I can do about it. All right, let it go. Because you can't do anything about it. But if you try to change something you can't change, you are beating your head on the proverbial wall, and you're going to get a headache, and nothing's going to happen anyway. Now, this number nine, I'm probably more excited about this one than any of them on the list tonight. And that is this. Don't try to do the Lord's work in your own strength. Do it in His strength. He lives in you. The burden is on him. Now, I want to say that again, then we'll look at a verse. Don't try to do the Lord's work in your own strength. Do it in his strength. He lives in you. The burden is on him. Now, in in this passage in Galatians chapter 2, it says it really well. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul said he had learned something now. Christ is living on the inside of him. That phrase, in Christ, and then the other phrase, Christ in me, is some of Paul's favorite language. And he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What did Paul learn? Paul had learned that the secret to life, you listen, say amen, that it's fixing to be good. The secret to life is to allow Jesus Christ to live his life, in, as Charles Stanley would say, in and through you. To allow, in and through you. To allow Jesus to live his life in and through you. And so, so many times in life, we look at a day. This happens to me sometimes. I'll look at what I have to do on a particular day. Or maybe the night before when I get in bed, I think of all the things I have to do tomorrow. I think, man. And sometimes it can be overwhelming. One of the things that I'm learning in my own life, and I think one of the reasons I wanted to do this message tonight, it's not got much to do with you unless it helps you. I hope it helps you. There's a lot of Bible. That ought to help. But I want to do this message tonight just to share, it's for me. It, it's, I'm almost being selfish to share this because this is one of the things that God is showing me in my own life. John, when you wake up on a day and you've got a lot to do, don't look at it like, i got to do all this. No, you'll, you'll get overwhelmed. Look at it like this. I'm living on the inside of you. It's my job to do it. I'm doing that through you. And I'm going to tell you something. I had a day yesterday, and I don't think... A preacher should ever talk about how busy he is because I think it's not becoming, and I think people don't want to hear it because we're not any busier than you are. But I'm not telling this to try to make myself look more busy than you. I'm telling you this to show how this is working in my life. Yesterday, I preached, well, first of all, on Monday, I was home all day. I prepared my sermon for Sunday, and then Monday night, I prepared my sermon for the Tuesday Bible lunch yesterday. I came to church yesterday and preached a Tuesday Bible lunch. And after the Tuesday Bible lunch, I had five meetings, which anybody who knows me knows I'm opposed to any meetings. I do not, I'd rather preach than meet. But we had to have. We had, I had five meetings yesterday, and the day was so busy, I never had lunch and I never had dinner. And when I got home last night, it was too late to eat because I knew if I ate, I'd never be able to go to sleep. But the amazing thing that happened to me yesterday, this is what I'm saying, what I'm preaching works. What the Bible says is, is right. As I went through all that I did yesterday, not one time did I feel stressed out. And the reason is, it was most, I couldn't even believe, I felt all day yesterday, I felt like I was walking on air. And I thought, God, now this is not like me. Because normally, if, I'm pre, if I got sermons going, and I got five meetings, and now someone has died, and we have a funeral, all this, and I, I, I normally would begin to feel a little bit overwhelmed, but God, I thought I don't feel anything. I, I, I feel as relaxed as if I were on a Hawaiian vacation. That's an honest truth. And, I, and, and here's the reason why. As I went through everything I had to do yesterday, I kept saying to myself, it's Christ in me. I kept saying, I don't know what words I was using, but what I was thinking is, Jesus, it's, you, you got a meeting coming up, and I'm going to carry you in there. That's kind of what I was thinking. You got a sermon to preach, Jesus. I'm going I'm to walk up on the platform and start talking, but I'm not the one doing it. It's you. And I went through the whole day like that. And I, so what I'm saying here is, especially when it comes to the Lord's work, 
But remember, everything we do should be done unto the Lord. So try to do the Lord's work and all work, not in your strength, but in His strength. He is the one who lives in you, and the burden is on Him. It's not on you. So just remember that. Say, Lord, it's all just in your mind. Just envision. I know you can't, but just envision Jesus living on you. And say, like yesterday, say, well, Jesus, we got a meeting. Well, Lord, we missed lunch. Well, Lord, no supper tonight. Maybe a little snack. But, but that's okay because it's you living your life through me. I, I, was, I was absolutely amazed when I got home last night at how incredibly relaxed that I was. And then number 10, and the last one, mercifully the last one for tonight. Don't get ahead of yourself. Stay in the present moment. Now, look in verse 34, because at the end of, the ser- of chapter 6 of, of Matthew, Jesus said, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. What do, we wor- what do we do? We worry about tomorrow. We get to bed at night. We think about what we've got to do tomorrow. There have been many nights in my life that I've gone to bed worrying about tomorrow, and I never went to sleep. I didn't wake up the next morning. I just got up because I never had gone to sleep. And God's been working in me in that. In the, and this is not happening to me anymore, not like it used to. I'm going to bed. I may lay there for a little bit and think about it. But then he's setting my mind at ease. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. One of the things that we can remember that will help us not to worry about tomorrow, not to get in tomorrow when we ought to stay in today, is this. Listen, you still listen? Say amen. I'm about finished. When you get to tomorrow, the grace of God will be there for you. The same Jesus that is living in you today will be living in you when you get to tomorrow. When tomorrow becomes today, you have God's grace, you have God's strength, you have the help of the Holy Spirit, you have all the power of Jesus Christ living on the inside of you, and I'm telling you, He can give you that calmness and that peace. And so, tonight... I've shared with you for what it's worth what God has been and still is in my own life teaching me over the last 10 or 20 years. And I hope some of what I have shared with you tonight will be a blessing. And before I close this out in prayer tonight, without comment, I just want to read through this list. And as you listen to it, I want you to think of two or three of these that you say, you know what? That's what God's teaching me too. It's not just John. That's what God's teaching me too. So ask yourself this question. Is God teaching you to trust Him completely with everything? Not to get angry? Not to overdo it? Not to panic? Not to be a perfectionist? Not to worry about anything? To be patient with people and with projects? Not to try to change things that you cannot change? To do the Lord's work in His strength instead of your strength. And to stay in the moment, to stay in today. So you won't ruin today by worrying about tomorrow. Well, Father, we all have our own lives. And some do this for a living and some do something else for a living. But God, all of this tonight applies to all of us on one level or another. God, I thank you that you are in the process of making us, little by little, a little bit more like Jesus. And God, as we look at his life, we see 
that he had all ten of these areas down pat. And that's what you're doing in us. And we ask you to be patient with us. But we ask you, God, not to give up on us. And not not to move on from us. And we even ask you, God, don't take us to heaven until you've completed what you have for us on earth. I'm not just talking about what we're supposed to do, but in who we're supposed to become. Make us who you want us to be on earth and then take us to heaven and finish it perfectly there. But God, through the experiences of life, make us the people you want us to be. Now tonight, would you make that prayer your prayer? And let me be quiet for a moment and let you make that prayer your prayer. Now, if you've never been saved, that's the beginning of it all. That When we talk about trusting Him completely with everything, it begins with your soul. Pray this prayer tonight, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. In your name I pray, and all the people said, amen and amen.